what's going on guys welcome back to the full court blood sports show use the link anchor.fm forward slash anthony dash mccully that's m-c-c-u-l-l-e-y again that is m-c-c-u-l-l-e-y when you get to the website please make sure you hit the follow button if you want to be notified of every upload also if you would if you wouldn't mind sharing the podcast around also um rating the podcast on both google and apple podcasts I would definitely appreciate if you guys did any of those things. Uh, so thank you guys very much. Also, whenever you guys are watching this, have a good morning, have a great day, whenever. And the last thing I wanted to touch on real fast is the support, guys. You guys are, I, I don't know. I mean, it went out, you know, at one point it was at 400, I believe, 80, 479, 480, some total plays and all it's at uh last time i checked it's at 546 and you guys are just you guys are going crazy and i don't know again i didn't know that it was gonna be going the way it is and i guess it's you know it's because of you guys, you know, it's, it, it really is, it's not me at all, I'm just getting out the episodes, you guys are watching them, we're so, so close, we're getting so close to this total plays goal, and I guess if it, you know, I mean, we'll talk about my next goal, I guess, my next goal, I guess, would probably be a thousand, a thousand total plays would be my next goal, and I just, I don't know how to really say it. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to talk about when it's, I don't really know what to say and how to ever, you know, repay you guys for this stuff because it's, you know, you guys are just, I don't know. I don't know. All I can really say is thank you guys so much for, you know, not only supporting the show, but, you know, for listening to me talk for 40 50 maybe an hour so it's again crazy guys it's very crazy and thank you guys and um yeah so i guess the only other thing i can say is i have officially ordered a webcam so that should be coming probably within the next week or so hopefully next week next week or two it should be coming in as soon as that comes in i will let you guys know because i will be posting on youtube again i haven't done that i believe since march or april i know it's been before the summertime so it's been a little bit but i will be posting on there more often now again and i will be doing more live and i'll be starting up live streams as well so whenever that comes in the mail I'll let you guys know when I do a live on YouTube and um, yeah, so that'll be some, that'll be a lot, that'll be a lot of fun, but yeah, so let's kind of get into this now that we got all that out of the way. So I couldn't find a whole lot, you know for today or yeah for today's episode but um again most of the stuff that i talk about today will be 
about the NFL and just about, you know, what's going to happen for, or like, kind of like what will be going on for as far as who's going to play and I guess just kind of pre-listing what will happen for tomorrow's games, slate of games. It's just kind of like news about, you know, just, you know, general pre, you know, pre-day football news. So it's kind of last minute news that's coming out. But anyway, or something like that. So anyway, Chargers, Mark, Melvin Ingram, excuse me, with a knee injury has been placed on the has been placed on the injured reserve and is eligible eligible to return in week six. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> okay. Something in my throat there. Anyway. So originally week three obviously is this is what it is now. Week three was sort of considered to be doubtful. It wasn't exactly like officially kind of done. You know, he wasn't kind of you know it wasn't officially like said that oh he's gonna be out. He was doubtful to play this Sunday, but now it's been official that he's been placed on the reserve, that Melvin Ingram's been placed on the reserve. And um, he actually landed on the injury report on Friday after missing practice. He was a full participant on the practice, in practice, both Wednesday and Thursday prior to the Friday injury. So it must have happened... Obviously, some sometime with you know, but within those two days, so within the two games that he has played up to this point, he has compared he has he has come up with a pair of two tackles with a pair of tackles and a pass deflection, or a pair of tackles and two pass deflections, as well as as well as a pick as well. I just said that twice. Anyway, so now with Ingram out of the lineup, their defense, like many injuries, have already happened, not just for the 49ers, but for every other team. There's been injuries pretty much all over the league right now. Not only the 49ers have taken a hit, but it's also the Chargers with a suffered defense with taking several blows to that defense. Anyway. So. Anyway. I didn't find out where I was. So with Ingram out of the lineup. The defense of the Chargers. Which has already suffered. Many injuries. Will now have to find ways to generate pressure. Outside of pro bowler Joey Bosa. So. Against the Panthers. So Sunday's game against the Panthers in week three would have provided Ingram with the chance to notch that elusive first sack and jumpstart for 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 a, and jumpstart his bid for a sixth straight campaign 
with at least seven sacks. That opportunity will not have to wait until at least week six when he would be eligible to return. I mean, my my thing is is you know most teams can most teams can come back and adapt well when losing guys like Melvin Ingram, you know, who are so well known on that side of the ball and who change the defense's pace and just overall is a captain on that defense. Not really a captain, well, I guess not really a captain as much as so much to say, but you know, he understands what he's doing, you know, he has a veteran presence on the field, that veteran feel on the defense. And I guess that's how I would kind of say it, sort of. But um, I just, I mean, the Chargers are a team where I think that they will still be able to adapt, but I don't think they're going to have the same pace that they usually play with on that defensive side of the ball with Mel- whenever Mel- Melvin Ingram is there and now with him gone. I think that that's going to change, but I think that they'll still prevail, and I think they still beat the Panthers. You know, I don't – seeing the Panthers up to this point, they just haven't really generated much, and it's just not really looking their way right now. So I think that puts the Chargers in the – front row to have this game because I mean mean, I'm kind of curious right now actually pretty sure yeah I was going to say they're 0-2 and I just don't see the Panthers being able to win this game you know their offense has been doing terrible up to this point and, yeah, so I want to look up something else as well. I'm kind of curious about this. Just to kind of give you guys a perspective on the Panthers. So, this is kind of just like statistics, you know, basic statistics for a game, you know, per game up to this point, compared from the Panthers to the uh, for, to their opponents in 2020. So, third down conversion rate is actually... The Panthers up to this point are 13 of 24, while their opponents are 11 of 22. Fourth down conversions, the Panthers have already gone 2 for 4, so they're already 50% there. Their opponents up to this point haven't even attempted. Total offensive yards, this is what I was trying to find. 815, 711. Offensive plays based on average yards, 136, 
118 6.0 or 0 yeah 6.0 Oh wow they've actually allowed more rushing yards than they have their than they have had their own team Total rushing yards for the Panthers is 216 their opponents have already ran 255 on them The Panthers have had six, have had zero sacks on their opponents, and opponents on them at this, up to this point, have had six. So it seems like it kind of goes either way up to this point. But um, as far as what the Panthers have versus their opponents up to this point, it seems like it's kind of close. I just don't think. The turnover ratio is the Panthers have already let, given the ball away twice to their opponents having nothing. So, I just don't think the Panthers have, you know, an explosive enough team on offense to really generate a winning, you know, winning against the Chargers. I think that if you look at – I think if you're the Panthers – or a Panthers fan, you look at the Chargers and you get scared right away because, I mean, I think it's going to be tough for the Panthers to win. So, yeah, I'm going to – obviously, I'm taking the Chargers in this one. And um, as far as Melvin Ingram, that's all I really got. And, uh, yeah. Falcons – A.J. Terrell tested positive for COVID-19 has now been placed on the reserve slash COVID-19 list. So, he's actually a rookie first-round pick by the Falcons and is now placed on the reserve COVID-19 list since the vir- since he's now got the virus and to start out the 2020 year. So, this is how it works in case you guys don't know. What the virus? When I say the reserve list slash COVID nineteen list, it it's essentially just the injured reserve list, except it's also now expanded to it's now extended to hold players that have the virus. Um, because it it's it's just kind of meaning they don't have an injury, but they're being placed on injured reserve list because you have to be, I believe you have to be quarantined, self-quarantining, and you have to be just away from everyone for at least up to 14 days, meaning almost up to two weeks. So, yeah, it's it's kind of just the reason why they do it. It's it's kind of just, that's why in case you're wondering, well, well, why, if you have the virus, why you're on the injured reserve? Well, it's just because you're up, you have to be out for at least 14 days and that's the only way and being put on the on the injured reserve on the reserve list because the reserve list is held for players that are held out it's it's for a li- it's for players who are on the list who's ever on that list means that they're out for an extended period of time it's not just day to day like it's for at least maybe a month or a couple or maybe like 14 to 20 days 
or whatever, or maybe even a year. It, it's it's just because it's an extended amount of time, and it's the only way that they can, you know, it's just kind of help separate players from who are injured and who are not, and just to kind of give an idea of who's actually got the virus, just to like kind of, you know, keep it. But um, Tom Pelissero did report this of NFL Network, and it actually came from overnight. It was an overnight test result. So he was not at the Falcons. Oh, and as a result of that, it was he was not at the Saturday walkthrough for the team. As it's a pre-game day basis that teams go through just to kind of make sure they have last-second things ready. And uh, so, yeah, he did not go to that as a, res- you know, as a result of having being have, having tested positive, and he can't play anyway, so there's no point in going. That, and he doesn't want to get anyone else sick. Obviously, he has been declared out for the game against the Bears on Sunday. So, cornerbacks D. Delrick, Abrams, and Tyler Hall were elevated from the practice squad to the 53-man roster in a corresponding move. According to Tom Pelissero, there has been no one else testing positive for the virus from from that overnight test, or the overnight testing. And all those other individuals were tested again this morning. Results from Saturday morning's test will be available on Sunday morning. Contract tracing will be used to determine who came in contact with Terrell in recent days. As all players and tier half and tier one and a half individuals were tracking devices, were tracking devices all day in the facility. If no one was within six feet of Terrell for 15 plus straight minutes, test negative or shows no symptoms, then then that player's game day status will not be compromised. So, yeah, and another thing I would like to add as well is I know that players, I know it's still not good that players are, and I, I think I've touched base on this in a previous, uh, uh, previous episode, but I would like to say that although it's still not good that players are testing positive, it is a lot better and it's a lot slower than what it has been in the last maybe couple months or so, you know, maybe I would say since maybe April, April, May, maybe even a little bit before that, you know, where it was every single day, a couple hundred people were testing positive and now, you know, in the sports world, and now it's maybe once every couple, maybe even every once, every couple weeks, you know, maybe once every couple, two, three, maybe even four weeks. So the the rate at which players are getting the virus has really slowed. Obviously, in the NBA, it has been for a very long time, almost two months, since a player has tested positive. And the NFL, it, it's, it happened, I believe, the last time I talked about it was probably two weeks ago now, the last player had it two, three weeks ago at this point. It's been a little while. So it's it's even still happening in the NFL, but it's very, very slow. 
it's at a very, very slow pace. And I would just like to point out that it's, it's, it's really important that, you know, the rapid testing still happens, but you know, not only that, but it's, it's good that although players are still getting it, it's good that it's at a really slow rate right now. It means that it's slowing down at these, you know, not only in these facilities, it's, it's not really happening as much, but it also means that in these cities where NFL teams are, you know, have where these NFL cities have professional teams, that means it's slowing down in the city as well, because that means it's not spreading as much. And I know it still is, but it, it really has slowed down now. So, We will, so, but as far as AJ Terrell, AJ Terrell, we will, um, you know, we'll see when he gets back into the league. And of course, as you guys know, the, I'm sure you guys probably already know this, but I'll say it again anyway, just for the people that don't know, essentially what happens is when a, when a player, and I'm going to try to say this without really being confusing or sounding confusing or. I'm going to try to remember the exact process that they go, that the league goes through when a player does or has tested positive and now they're coming, trying to come, and now they're in the process of trying to come back into the league. What happens is they don't just get let back in. What happens is, is I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's the same, almost the same process as the NBA, but a little bit different. Essentially what happens is when a player tests positive for the virus, Essentially what happens is they have to test net. They have to take the test. And then I believe it is, uh, I believe it's a couple hours. It has to come. So they have to take the, they have to take the, the, um, they have to take the, the test once. And then they have to test negative. And then they have to take it again. I believe it is the next day. I'm pretty sure they have to take it again the next day or so. Within a couple... Oh, no. It is within... I'm sorry. The NBA's was... You have to test. And then I believe it's 24 hours later you have to take it again. Or like the next day you take it again. I believe for the NFL, because the seasons are actually going on right now, they're doing rapid testing, which means... You have to test negative. You have to take the first test. You have to test negative. I believe it's then a couple hours later that you have to test it again, get tested again, and then you have to test negative the second time. So you have to have a double negative to come back into the league. And then I believe you have to, but you but you kind of get eased back in. Like you don't just get you know test double te- double negative tested and then you get right back in. I believe it's also that you have to. Pretty sure I don't think there's any more quarantining after that, but I'm pretty sure you just test double test negative, and then you kind of just slowly get back into the the swing of things. So that's essentially how that goes. Anyway, yeah, so, okay. Next thing we got here is the Buccaneers are now announcing, or now the second team to announce plans of having fans at Raymond James Stadium here in 2020. So I say that because the first team, 
was the who was the first team? I, it was in my last episode, I believe. The last team to have done this. I wonder if it's, I'm trying to see if it was in. The, I'm pretty sure I'm trying to see if it's in this article about who last did it. It was just in my last pod, and I don't remember now. Hmm. Anyway. Anyway, just know that they're the second team to do it. And they plan on hosting fans starting with a soft, you know, kind of like a, a an easing way into it type of deal. And they're planning actually next week, week four. So ahead of the 2020 season, the Bucks have announced that there'll be no fans for their first two home games. The team's decision to reopen the fans was made possible following the executive order signed by Governor Ron DeSantis, which moved Florida into the last phase of the state's reopening plan. So the season past members with continuous membership since 98 or earlier will have the initial opportunity to purchase a limited amount of tickets beginning on October 1st. Which will be the first teams, which be for the, which will be for the first teams, week four matchup against the Chargers. In their next home game, the eighteenth against October eighteenth against the Packers, sitting at Raymond James Stadium will approximately twenty, will be approximately twenty five percent of capacity. So it's not very much. It's only going to be twenty five percent. So, including next Sunday's game against the Chargers, luxury suite members will have full access to their suites for all remaining games this season. Hall of Fame members and Legends Club members also will have the opportunity to attend all remaining games, with seating and pricing to be determined based on availability due to physical distance due to physical distancing measures. So, in other words, also another thing too is. Past members, season pass members who also have kept their 2020 season pass payments as credit card, as a credit towards 21, towards 2021 will have the opportunity to purchase limited tickets for up to two games from the remainder of the 2020 home schedule. There will be more games offered in the future based on availability and tenure through their priority pre-sale program, which will offer tickets for the remainder of the 2020, which remainder of the twenty of the season was starting on Monday, October fifth. So anyway, I, it's kind of not going to get into the rest of that, but um. So partnering with the Tampa Bay Sports Authority, the Buccaneers have developed a re- reopening plan that ensures the safety of all fans who attend games. A variety of safety measures upon reopening include socially distanced seating, full mobile ticketing. There'll be cashless transactions, as as you know, most companies have kind of done nowadays. Well, no, during all of this, and there'll be, and also the process of installing touchless touchless hardware in restrooms, enhanced sanitation measures, and additional food preparation protocols at all concessions. So the t- so the team. The TSA and the University of South Florida will hold virtual press conferences on Tuesday, September 29th at 1 p.m. 
Eastern time to introduce the stadium reopening plan. Chief Operating Officer Brian Ford, via a press release, has said in a statement by saying, quote, the safety of all involved has been our number one, excuse me, has been our number one priority throughout this process. There simply is no way to replicate the energy and excitement that our fans provide for our players on the field. We remain thankful for the opportunity to experience this great season alongside our most passionate fans at Raymond James Stadium. End quote. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have a virtual conference about their reopening plan. So yeah, the Buccaneers in in you know in um to recap their. You know, they're going to have 25% fan capacity at Raymond James Stadium. They'll be starting to host fans once again. And, um, yeah, that's about it for that. But, hey, guys, I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a break here, and then we'll get right back into it and finish this thing out. All right, guys, welcome back from the break. So, Next thing we got here is the NFL has actually now informed clubs of adjustments to in-stadium audio policy. So as you guys know, to start out the year, up to this point, they were using, they were using, um, what is it called? They were just using sound from, they were using sound from the Madden video game, I believe. And they were just buffering that in. And it was up to 70 decibels. So, I guess now that they sent a memo out to all 32 teams regarding a new adjusted in-game audio audio policy. So, like I said, after two weeks of the trial, the NFL is adjusting to its in-stadium audio policy. The league has now informed the clubs of several updates to the policy, including allowing stadiums with fewer than 2,500 fans to play curated audio up to 80 decibels and no longer requiring fans with 2,500 or more fans to play curated audio at all. Tom Pelissero did report on this. So originally it was a requirement that all stadiums played stadium specific pre-recorded audio. It delivered to each club at 70 decibels starting at kickoff no matter the attendance, with with no allowance for raising or lowering levels. Under the adjusted policy, home clubs with 2,500 or more fans can still choose to use the audio, known informally as the murmur, and the decibel level must be selected and delivered to the league 90 minutes before kickoff. The decibel level must also remain the same no matter who possesses the football, with NFL football operations monitoring. So, the other change in the policy includes removal of a decibel limit for PA announcements, music, music, etc. during approved times in in the stadium, Palacero also added. So, it goes on to talk about the audio in the stadium. It's intended to mimic the sound of a venue filled with fans as the lead, or it is, the intent of it is to, is to mimic the sound of a venue filled with fans at the league op as the league operates amid the ongoing ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, which has limited fan attendance in some stadiums and and barred fans' attendance entirely in others. 
It is not the same crowd audio that can be heard on television broadcast of NFL games, which are controlled separately. So this is also coming, this isn't just coming out of the middle of nowhere, this has been communicated with, by the other, you know, this this plan has been communicated with, for, with you know, between the league and other and all and the, all the other thirty two clubs, so other the other teams, and every team does know about this to this point. So it just sounds like they're trying to get more realism here. Also working around, you know, and I I give the NFL a lot of applause for this. They're only trying to make it better from here. They're just trying to work around the fact that there's a limited fan attendance and they're just trying to make it where it's a little bit louder now, despite having to work around 25%, possibly even maybe even less fan attendance. And so, although it's still not going to be as loud as it was, it's going to be a little, the decibels will be a little bit higher now than it was the last two weeks. And I, I do, again, I do applaud the NFL for their, you know, for their efforts up to this point, despite, again, the limited fans. And um, Henry Ruggs, with a knee and hamstring, with both having a knee and hamstring injury, will miss his week three game. Will miss the week three game against the... New England Patriots. So, and also, and also most notably, tackle Trent Brown with a calf will not be available to face his former team. While Nick Kwiatkowski with a pectoral is also out for the Raiders meeting with the Patriots. Second year running back Josh Jacobs with a hip. Tight end Darren Waller knee. A guard Denzel Good. Thumb and illness and tackle Sam Young growing are questionable for Sunday's affair. So it was okay. So Henry Ruggs's status was downgraded as the practice week progressed from a full participant in Wednesday's session to limited Thursday and a non participant Friday. Jacobs, meanwhile, improved from a non-participant Wednesday and Thursday to a limited participant Friday. Waller started on the Monday night stage in Week 2, catching 12 passes for 105 yards and a touchdown, and the Raiders win over the Saints. He was limited in Friday's practice, so he has also been downgraded to limited. Trent Brown moved west in the 2019 offseason, signing a four-year, $66 million deal to join the Raiders after beginning his career in San Francisco before spending a long Loan campaign in New England. Kwiatkowski followed followed suit in its 2020 offseason, joining the Raiders after four seasons in Chicago. So they'll be shorthanded against a quality opponent in the Patriots. We'll see how it affects Las Vegas' fortune with Raider Nation still flying high after the team's emphatic win in prime time. So... It's, you know, although, again, although, as you guys already know, I'm a Patriots fan, although, you know, although I'm happy that 
we don't have to face this difficult guy to handle. You know, this 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 guy that's really hard to handle. I'm happy we don't have to face him, but I'm also sad that, you know, he doesn't, you know, this is his rookie year. This would be the year that, you know, you get to play, you know, you 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 hope to play the whole year, and now he'll have to miss a game, and it, it just sucks that he won't get to see any playing time. But, you know, I kind of want to talk about this crowded Raiders injury as, injury report as well. You have Trent Brown with his calf. Nick, I don't know how to say his last name. Kwiatkowski. Anyway, I'm just going to say that. So, Trent Brown with a calf. Kwiatkowski with a peck. And Josh Jacobs as well as Darren Waller and Denzel Good with Sam Young. All of them are guys that are at least questionable for Sunday, which, I mean, questionable usually kind of means that they're going to start questionable. I've never seen questionable a guy be questionable before a game and then be out. I, I mean, I, I have, but not often. Usually questionable just means that they're looking at it, but it usually means, yes, that they're going to play. So although they're probably all going to play, these are all things. These are all guys that you should be looking at because these are guys that are all really good. You know, especially the guys that look. You know, point out that you know um, they pop out to me as Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs and Trent Brown. Noted, you know, guys that are all pretty common. And um, yeah, so. We'll end, up, we'll end up seeing what happens here. Well, I guess we won't really know till Well, if it ends up being game-time decisions for these guys, I don't know. But I will end up seeing what happens here come tomorrow. Or actually, when you guys watch this, it'll be tomorrow. Come today, we'll find out what happens. And the next thing we got here is QB, 49ers QB Nick Mullins. We'll be starting in place of Jimmy Garoppolo. Also, Kittle will not be playing. So it was kind of, we were kind of seeing, you know, it was kind of like a, you know, the, we kind of all played the played the waiting game all week, waiting to find out, you know, would George Kittle play and, will, and would Jimmy Garoppolo play following both of their injuries last week. So Kyle Shanahan... Did confirm Friday that on the appearance on on his radio appearance that Nick Mullins will be start at, will be the starting quarterback in place of injured Jimmy Garoppolo on Sunday against the Giants. Running backs Tevin Coleman with a knee and Raheem Mostert with a knee also will not play. Per per Kyle Shanahan. After leaving some hope for tight end George Kittle with a knee, he was he has also officially now been ruled out for his week three game against the Giants as well. Coming after a few hours later, actually, from that interview. So, Jimmy Garoppolo, in case you're wondering why he's hurt, it's because he hurt his ankle in his Sunday's win over the Jets last week. And although they went although they were hoping it wasn't gonna be too serious, although they hoped that the injury wouldn't be too serious, 
it doesn't seem like it is as the report came in earlier, you know, um, earlier this week, earlier this past week. Um, it, they did end up saying, I'll say it again, though, that they're not rushing Jimmy Garoppolo. And they're just, they just want him to come back 100%. There's no need to rush him. So, when, so the last time Nick Mullins really saw action was 2018, the last time Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt. That game, he completed 64.2% of his passing, of his passes for 2000, and threw for 2,277 yards and a 13 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio and eight starts for a 49ers team that is, that was far from contention. Bringing energy to an otherwise lost campaign in the season that followed, Mullins was again rele- relegated to the bench to watch Garoppolo return and help the 49ers reach Super Bowl 50. Whatever year that, I can't remember what one that was. But yeah, so it sounds like, you know, the last time Nick Mullins played, it was pretty solid. It wasn't, not terrible. I'd say 64 some percent is actually pretty average for an NFL quarterback. 50 something, I'd say maybe 58 to 60, 64, 65 percent is, I would say, probably an end of game average for a quarterback. So I'd say that's not too terrible over eight games. It's not bad. I've seen worse in, in quarterbacks. I've definitely seen worse. But uh, moving on here, last thing here we got is actually NBA-related. The Jazz have hired Dell Demps as assistant coach and Kayon Dooling in player development role. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Kayon, Keon, Keon Dooling? Keon Dooling. Anyway, this is actually coming from Adrian Wojnarowski on Twitter. It says, former Pelicans general manager Del Demps has agreed to join the Utah Jazz as assistant coach, reuniting with Quinn Snyder, sources have told, have told ESPN. So Demps will be switching roles to be a coach instead of a GM. In New Orleans, Demps made a lot of headlines, headline moves, but with, with an up-and-down results. But with up-and-down results, Demps was the one who signed Omar Sikh to a five-year deal and was the GM who had initiated the infamous Chris Paul to the Lakers trade, next by David Stern. So, with the results of an up-and-down uh, year, or up-and-down trade and moves, Demps was also the one that made the Marcus Cousins also made the trade for DeMarcus Cousins. That seemed to be the thing that would power the Pelicans over the hump until Cousins blew out his ACL. Also the one that traded for Drew Holiday, who had been a cornerstone of that franchise for years. Now be leaving the GM role behind to join a Jazz coaching staff he's already familiar with. So, the relationship between Quinn Snyder and Dell Demps as going back from to working together in, back in San Antonio when Snyder was coaching the Austin with uh, coaching Austin Toros. The Jazz are also hiring Keon, Keon Dooling in a player development role. 
Newling played for multiple years in the NBA and has a relationship with Coach Snyder when he played for Snyder at the University of Missouri. So overall, it seems like they're just making this move. You know, it, it seems as I was reading this whole article, it's, it's it, you know, as you know, it was relatively short. The way it sounds, it, it sounds overall that it, it's it's kind of more of like a move of, you know, it's not like the biggest move, but anything that has to do with improving, you know, any move that has anything to do with improving, you know, the, um, the communications part of, you know, the communications aspect of all of this, because, you know, from being a GM to being a coach, he obviously, you know, Dell Demps obviously knows how important it is to being, to being highly communicative. You know, you have to be really, you know, you have to be constantly communicating with people as a GM and you have to be constantly, and it's especially important to be communicating as a coach. So he, he kind of knows the, you know, he kind of has the, um, Dell kind of has the the knowledge and the know-how to understand, you know, he kind of has the know-how of when it comes to communication. And, you know, and that obviously that's key when it comes to these types of roles in a, in, you know, within an organization. So I think this is more, it's a, like I said, it's a smaller move, but when it has anything to do with, improving your communication within a franchise it, it, you know it may, no matter how small the move is it's a big role it's a big move within the organization and i applaud the jets for making this move but uh, with it, with that being said guys that's all we got for today again please make sure to use the link anchor.fm forward slash anthony mccully that's M-C-C-U-L-L-E-Y. Again, that is M-C-C-U-L-L-E-Y. When you guys get to the website, please make sure to hit the follow button if you'd like to be notified of every upload, as well as sharing the podcast around if you do enjoy the content. I'd appreciate that. I'd also appreciate it as well if you guys could rate the podcast on both Google and Apple Podcasts. Helps me just figure out, you know, who actually enjoys the content on the show and who you know, and, um, and who does versus who, who, who kind of doesn't. So again, guys, this has been the full court blood sports show. I will see you guys later.